I got the horse right here, the name is Paul Revere, and here's a guy that says if the web is clear, can do, can do. This is Bill Duncliffe. I want to welcome you back to the Can Do Horse Racing Podcast, where the heroes and history of horse racing come alive. I want to welcome you back to part two of a very early kickoff to our season nine with a podcast celebrating an important endeavor, providing support to individuals who are at times in the greatest need in our sport. Paul Ruchames, executive director of the Backstretch Employee Service Team, talked with us in part one about the history of this terrific organization and the seemingly limitless scope of services his organization provides. In part two, we spent a good deal of time talking about the unique travails of the backstretch worker during the pandemic and how best supported them. In a sport where the athletes require daily care and attention, the impacts of the pandemic dictated immediate responses that required thoughtful improvisation and flexibility. If those measures had not been so rapidly implemented, it is difficult to imagine how our sport could have carried on. Paul, I remember um, I was talking with uh, Jim Rushton, uh, an interview we published two seasons ago, um, and uh, we talked about the pandemic and the impact on the horse racing industry um, because one of the things that I think maybe kind of one unrecognized by a lot of people is that, um, or again, maybe just something that they know but they want to kind of block out, everything's shutting down, everything's locked down, you know, stay home. These horses still require care every day, right? Um, yeah. So that had to be a very challenging time, I would think, for you and your team. There were some unique problems that the track has. For example, during COVID, most people weren't living in dormitories or, you know, uh, colleges that had dormitory living, they quickly ended it, whereas on the track we yeah. couldn't do that. So right. that was a unique right. situation uh, that made them uniquely susceptible to COVID. It's been a, a quite an intense two and a half years, but yeah. <clears throat> I think best uh, that we really came through really well. I'm really proud of what we were able to do. Um, like you said, the workers were deemed in New York State, at least the term is essential workers uh, during the pandemic, uh, meaning even when everyone else was supposed to be home and you know, kept and not go out. Uh, these workers had to go out because the life of animals was dependent on them. Um, so it, and what made things even more acute on the backstretch was, um, that they, for the most part, live in dormitory settings. So you could have two or three people in a room. Excuse me. And early on, it was during colder months. So windows would be closed. You could have one person who's sick and coughing. And of course, automatically that meant three were were sick, and so it, it just it was just um, truly a pandemic on the backstretch. And our clinic worked really with a lot of courage at that time, because early on people forget now, but um, even people who worked in a clinic setting uh, couldn't get enough masks, couldn't get enough uh, protective garments. Oh my. To, yeah. to protect them, yeah. we had a doctor wearing one mask for the whole week, which normally in a hospital, you know, when normal procedures are done, you, you're supposed to throw it away. In fact, you're required to throw it away after mm. one operation, one whatever. Uh, and here they were having to reuse it, and and they did it. They could have refused, um, and no one could have held anything against them for that. But they, they literally, it was like going into the battlefield 
regardless. Um, so um, we had probably a couple hundred people infected. And at that time, early in the pandemic, people were getting sicker mm. than they are now. Um, we had cases where, and this is metro New York area, where the hospitals would tell us we'd call an ambulance for someone and they'd say, well, in effect, they'd say, if he's not dying, we can't take him uh, because we're just over, overrun with patients. Um, so yeah. that uh, put a tremendous amount of pressure on us. But with our connection with Northwell, we were able to get in time uh, pretty much the whole population before vaccines came about. We were able to get them all tested. And we were able to set up, uh, and with the cooperation of Naira and others at the racetrack, we were able to get uh, quarantine, really humane quarantine dorms set up on the backstretch that we could isolate people and uh, care for them. My staff yeah. were calling. Uh, they did over 15,000 calls because we couldn't really go and see people, but, you know, to stay in touch um, could be... Many people had medication that they needed to get and take. So through the calls, we were, we were able to get it for them, bring it, put it in a bag outside their door, and then, you know, they'd, they'd go and get it. Um, and feeding people and, uh, Naira and NIFA, NIFA being the New York Thoroughbred Horsemen's Association were tremendous, uh, partners with all this, um, and other nonprofits on the racetrack as well. Uh, and we got through it. And then we got pretty much, I'd say, 90% of the backstretch vaccinated. And um, it did, and, you know, the the effectiveness of vaccines is still, I guess, a subject of some controversy. But one thing seemed clear, which is that people really, when they did get ill, were much less severely ill than before the vaccines. There, it was, that is indisputable. Um, yeah, I agree with you still, on that one. Yeah. Yeah. It still is. Uh, it doesn't seem yep. to affect people getting sick, but when they do, much less severely. So we were able to do that and put the backstretch workers, you know, as number one, as essential workers, and Northwell worked with us, with the state government, that these people needed to be given priority. And mm -hmm. one thing for a lot of the workers, they're used to a certain amount of hostility about them as immigrants and you know, definitely not being number one when it comes to privileges of society. And here they were able to be rightfully as essential workers, um, given a high priority. And uh, I think that was a really good experience for people to see. And I was proud of, you know, all of us and New York State uh, for how it, it was responded to. So um, we're coming out of it now, still occasional cases but uh, like i said uh, the last few months it's basically just uh, bad colds that people are getting uh, but we still quarantine them when they do get sick and uh, and that's been holding down the infection rate i think a lot And speaking of the pandemic, it's important to remember the vital role racing and racetracks played during a critical phase of the response. Come on, people now, smile on your brother, everybody get together, try to love one another right now. Belmont 
and Naira opened up its doors to Northwell and it became a major vaccination site um, so that I think it was about 150,000 local citizens right. of New York right. yeah. got vaccinated <clears throat> at Belmont Park. Uh, mm-hmm. An aqueduct, which is aqueduct. a few miles from there, I yeah. think did it almost twice that. So the racing industry deserves a tremendous amount of credit. As you can imagine, doing the good work that the staff and volunteers of Best Do takes money. We talked about all the ways we can support the program, but Paul touched on other ways as well that really struck me and served as a valuable reminder of the impact we have on others in even the smallest, yet very meaningful ways. We are but in moments of light, fading in the gray. You mentioned the support of Naira and the New York Thoroughbred Horsemen's Association. Um, What's your annual budget each year? What do you kind of shoot to have in the in the tank to be able to provide all these services? Well, it's about uh, 2100000 more or less, okay. each year for the last yep. several years. And we're significantly supported by Naira and NIFA, um, okay. and also though, supported by lots of uh, generous people in the racing community, and not just the racing community, um, other people who just, you know, care about this population of people um, yep. who are in, in many ways really are migrant workers, migrant farm workers, um, and, uh, you know, appreciate the problems that they have. So we, we have that, plus we get grants from private foundations, uh, governmental grants, um, but we're primarily supported by private um, contributions whether from the racing industry or individuals. And that, in many ways, gives us a lot of freedom to do, uh, to avoid a lot of red tape issues. I mean, regulations are important, and and we are very careful about, you know, complying. But uh, sometimes Mm -hmm. the red tape gets in the way of doing what what is needed. And um, because of our support from a very generous public we're able to be more creative. A lot of the programs that we do, uh, we couldn't do without the, that support. So, so Paul, how can we as individuals contribute to BEST? Well, by um, if you go to our website, um, mm-hmm. www.bestbackstretch.org, um, you can make donations there. Um, you can uh, volunteer. We have about 75 or so volunteers, primarily in Saratoga, where we have a program as well. Um, okay. You can volunteer to help out. Uh, uh, our volunteers have been amazing, uh, doing lots of things. Um, so, and, and really, maybe if you're someone just going to a race, just be more mindful of the people behind the scenes, you know, Many of them get used to, they sort of try to be invisible to the public. Yeah. And I remember one person when I first started, he said, you know, I happened to be with my daughter at the time. And he said, the fact that you introduced me to your daughter meant so much to me, so much, you know, that you respected me as a person. Um, So sometimes it's just, you know, smiling and saying, how are you? Or como esta? Or whatever, (laughs) you know, any any way to show interest in them as human beings, as people, not just as, you know, objects that are yeah. helping make the race go on. 
that that in itself is, you know, like priceless for the backstretch worker to see yeah. that kind of acceptance well, from yeah. from the racing public. And and people who go to the front side, you can't help but run into a lot of backstretch workers, of course. Uh, or right, in, right. in the town, particularly Saratoga, which is a you know vacation spot, so a lot of people are congregating in the same small area. Um, so yeah, that too can really make a big difference. Well, like the old saying goes, a smile doesn't cost you anything, right? Um, you know, that's right. Uh, and, and that's that's great advice about just acknowledging you know their their presence, um, and that is. Uh, yeah, it's it's it's, it's meaningful. To paraphrase Luke chapter twelve verse forty-eight, to whom much is given, much is expected. I would challenge you to find a better example of people who have lived and live that phrase than the couple Paul and I talked about as we wrapped up our discussion. Paul, I don't want to let you go without asking about, um, you know, I, I'm always, ad, I, I, I'm very, I have a great deal of admiration for people who do good work quietly, significant work quietly, without trying to attract a lot of attention to themselves. And I'm thinking in particular about, in this case, about Mary Lou Whitney, who, you know, for all of her renown and uh, renown and fame and, and, and accomplishments, et cetera. She, I know, in her life had a very special devotion to your programs, correct? Yes, she did. Uh, and her husband, who survives her, uh, John Hendrickson, mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, she was amazing. Um, with They call it the Backstretch Appreciation Programs in Saratoga. So mm-hmm. what they did, and I, it started before I got there, a little before I got to Bass, about 15 years ago, roughly, uh, they wanted to create for the backstretch worker a similar experience to what visitors to Saratoga got. So every night of the back of the meet of the 40-day meet, well, I guess it wasn't 40 then, but you know what it, what it is now, um, yeah. there would be something special going on. So um, probably, and it's highlighted by the Sunday night dinners where it's now done under a beautiful pavilion that was built in Mary and named after Mary Lou Whitney. Uh, we, Beth, and our volunteers serve uh, food from a, you know, five-star type restaurant from Saratoga, uh, beautiful tables and tablecloths and just a, a really beautiful, serene environment. Uh, so that happens. We, serve, we have served up to 700 people in that way on a Sunday oh, wow. night. And um, done with a lot of dignity, too. Uh, and our yeah. volunteers are just tremendous with that. And um, and then there are other events. There are trips to Lake George, which is a nearby beautiful vacation spot. There's a steamboat ride that the, the workers go on through that. Uh, there's an English as a second language classes that go on and movie nights and ice cream. Uh, so th- they've really created a, a really special environment so that workers really look forward the whole year to coming to Saratoga. And and Mary Lou Whitney, in the last few years, she was definitely declining in health, but she always came to the Sunday dinners and sat and sat with the workers and 
talk with them, and they just treasured being with her. Uh, and John Hendrickson was with her, of course, and he's continued that, um, just being tremendously devoted, um, as well as being an owner himself uh, to the workers, and on a real detailed way. Unlike some funders, you know, do it from really a, uh, an arm's length away, but he really wants to be involved, and he is involved, and talking with yeah. the workers and uh, trying to do the right thing, and with us, and working, you know, as partners on how to do, how to improve things if possible. So, yeah, she's been a great um, uh, supporter of the backstretch, and her spirit really, really lives on in John Hendrickson and uh, just in general. And, you know, so many things are named after Mary Lou, and rightly so. Well, that's terrific. That, that actually brings a little bit of a, a tear to my eye because I'm just going back to the words that you talked about, you know, respect, dignity, being mindful. That's <clears> – <throat> all of that and more and you know certainly i don't think uh, well not all of us have those you know, the resources we, we we can all do something right i mean uh, you know and, and i think that's the challenge and that's the opportunity is is just find a way to do something whether it's through www.bestbackstretch.org or uh you know and, or i shouldn't say or and you know, as you walk through the backstretch, and you know, if you're parked at Saratoga over by the Oklahoma and you're walking over, don't be afraid to say hello and to acknowledge people and say thank you. And um, yeah, from from the simplest to the most grand, is I think there's just more that we can do. And and also, I just wanted to say another way people could help is just get in touch, call me. My number is on the well, it's five one six four eight eight three four three four, extension one zero three. Give me a call if there's something you see that <clears throat> maybe best can be more involved with or help more. Let us know. We've really benefited a lot by hearing from people in that way. So, um, yeah, there's many ways to help. And the good thing about helping is it helps yourself when you help others. Right. Right. I mean, I mean, even on the brain chemistry level, it's been shown. Um, so there are so many reasons to do it, especially in the times we're living in now, where there's so much divisiveness among people and groups and <clears throat> and stereotyping of each group the other, that uh, this is a good way to, to try to change that. And every little That's thing really helps. That's a really good point about finding, let's find ways to come together. Let's not... Yes. continue to find ways to drive each other apart. That, that's a really good point. Right. As I said, this special two-part podcast is being released as an early kickoff to our Season 9 precisely because this week represents the opening of the Saratoga Race Meet, a stand that I know many of our listeners will attend likely more than once over the next 40 or so days. And so, dear listener, I want to challenge you to think of the example of Mary Lou Whitney and John Hendrickson, to remember Paul's advice that a simple hello, a friendly wave, a thank you have more meaning than you might imagine to those who work the shed rows next to the Oklahoma track or at Clare Court. Think about that as you walk to and from your car parked over by the Oklahoma track. And most importantly, as you cross Union Avenue with a grin on your face reflecting on a profitable day, think about donating a portion of your winnings to this worthy organization as a way to say thank you. Heck, even deepening your losses by contributing actually is a loss only on paper. The gain, I assure you, is so much more. 
So visit www.bestbackstretch.org and let this great organization and the people they serve know how much what they do means to you. Thanks for listening. We'll be adding more Season 9 content as the year rolls on. In the meantime, may good health and happiness for you and your loved ones be yours today and always. I got the horse. Ride!